Hey, what's up, hello? It's me, Allison. Uh, welcome back to the Thrive and Learn podcast. Uh, throughout this episode, I keep referring to it as the first episode of the year, but as you know, I threw my plans out the window so I could give um, a more current reaction uh, to the events um, at the Capitol in early January. So where I thought this was going to be our nice, fluffy first episode of 2021, uh, here we are in week two. So don't mind me throughout this episode as I'm saying Happy New Year. Today we have Lisa Hildebrand, who is my boss, and she is also a certified dope chick with with a thousand jobs, um, who I really admire um, as a mentor. And, um, you know, she's an elected official. She's our executive director. She's on the steering committee of advocacy campaigns. Uh, so this is going to be a great episode. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to give you our public policy and self-care updates. First up, policy update. I'm going to try my best not to scream in your ear, but this week's update really makes me mad. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Um, COVID-19 is a gendered crisis, and the jobs report for December 2020 made that perfectly clear. So for those of you that have not heard, December's jobs numbers found that we lost 156,000 jobs in December 2020. All of them belong to women. Women lost all 156,000 of those jobs last month. I'm just going to let that sit with you because the second fact, <laughs> God, men, <laughs> men gained 16,000 jobs in the same month. So that's a lot to unpack. I think that there is some intersection here with childcare because of course there is. A lot of the burdens with childcare fall upon working moms. Uh, so here we probably have a lot of mothers making a lot of tough decisions. I don't want to extrapolate. We could probably spend a long time unpacking this data, but you know what? That might have to be its own podcast. That's my entire policy update. I just want you to sit with it. After that policy update, I don't know about you, but I definitely need a self-care update. Um, and I'm still kind of in the place where I was... Uh, last week where I'm a little out of practice but not to get too woo-woo but you know there's a new moon in Capricorn as I'm recording this I don't want you to know that side of me actually I'll leave that out of it um but, <laughs> sorry let's see something that has really been working for me um and I always return to it especially in these times where the stress becomes really heavy I return to this concept of the ritual, which another thing that sounds a little woo woo, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean for that to be true, but it's actually really, really simple for me. My ritual is to go to the bathroom and wash my damn face. I wash my face. It really it resets me. And so when we're talking about our skin, I do want to recommend. An Instagram account, as I as I always do. I hope you guys are on Instagram. Uh, anyway, 
Okay, here it is. All right. So, like I said, my favorite ritual, it resets me no matter what I'm feeling. If I really am kind of overcome by stress or if I'm distracted and kind of having a moment of... <laughs> I'm distracted right now. <laughs> I go wash my face. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off the microphone and do that right now. There's an account called Derm Angelo. At D-E-R-M-A-N-G-E-L-O. Um, Angelo is a dermatologist and I'm a devout follower of his. He makes a lot of great recommendations for skincare. And you know, it's such an easy place to just start a ritual in your life. Really take care of your skin. It's your body's biggest organ. Um, it's been a real lifesaver for me and it's such a simple little act. So when you read the December jobs reports or there's an insurrection at the Capitol, go wash your face. Sorry, I'm really losing it, I guess. Um, let's get into the interview with Lisa Hildebrand. Okay, so this is our first episode of 2021, um, which doesn't even feel like a real year, but here we are. So today we have the executive director of the Rhode Island Association for the Education of Young Children, Lisa Hildebrand. Lisa earned a bachelor's degree in biology with minor in education and philosophy from the University of Rhode Island and a master's degree in counseling psychology from Webster University. She came to Rhode Island AEYC after almost 15 years at Sherman College of Chiropractic, a doctorate program in Spartanburg? Mm -hmm. Spartanburg, South Carolina, the last eight of which she served as director of admission and then vice president for enrollment services. She was also previously a faculty member at Spartanburg Community College and taught graduate level courses at Sherman College, including psychology, human growth and development, and child development. Prior to this appointment, Lisa was the assistant director at Rhode Island AUIC and was hired to assist in the development and management of the Rhode Island Child Care Resource and Referral Center. Lisa is also responsible for coordinating quality improvement initiatives for the state's quality rating and improvement system, Bright Stars. And she is my boss and mentor and guru. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. Hello. <laughs> Happy New Year. Thanks. This is actually the first time that I'm even speaking to you in 2021. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to have you on for our first episode of the year. It's also a continuation of like the first series that I wanted to start where I interview each member of our leadership team. Um, so I thought this would, this first episode of the year would be a good one for us because we had a crazy 2020 mm -hmm. and I thought we could kind of spend some time reflecting and sharing with uh, people that we unfortunately haven't been able to see in person in a long time, what we've been up to and talk a little bit about where we're going. So uh, first of all, I, there, I don't like to make assumptions that everybody knows us <laughs> that listens to us. So I thought we could open just by talking about everything that we do at Rhode Island AEYC and all of the contracts that we manage. Yep. Um, so thank you for having me, Allison, on your yeah. podcast. <laughs> I, we've been playing around with the concept of a po podcast for many months, probably, you know, early 2019, we started talking about this and mm -hmm. you um, have 
brought it to fulfillment. So it's really exciting. So um, thanks for having me on your podcast. (laughs) It's a little weird to have these conversations with you like this, but um, because we're, you know, instead we're mostly usually talking about the actual work. Um, This is just a different way to talk about it, I guess. So yeah, we, um, so Rhode Island AYC is the state affiliate for the National Association for the Education of Young Children. Most um, everybody knows that entity as NACI. Mm -hmm. And um, in Rhode Island, we are the only affiliate. So in some states, there are multiple affiliates. Some states have chapters um, because Rhode Island is so small. We've always been the only affiliate. Um, But that kind of makes our position a little bit unique too, um, because we tend to know pretty much everything that's going on in the state. Um, so of course, in addition to our regular work through the affiliate structure, um, and with NACI, we also work on the state level with, um, very closely with the Rhode Island Department of Human Services, and we manage a couple of contracts for them. Um, the biggest one, the largest one is what the state calls Bright Stars, which is the, um, the quality rating and improvement system for the state. Um, almost every state in the U.S. has a QRIS now, and um, Rhode Island's is one of the longest operating in the U.S., which is really exciting and we are very proud of. Um, and through a QRIS, we, our, our staff, our teams, uh, assess the quality of the childcare and early learning programs in the state. So we use a a system of assessment, um, a system of a number of different research-based standards to assign a star rating. So the star rating is anywhere between one and five stars. And then we communicate that rating to the programs. We also provide them a lot of information and guidance and support to assist the programs in improving their quality. So improving their the learning environment and the interactions that they have with um, families and with the children that they're serving and ultimately potentially increasing their, that star rating. And then the last piece of a QRIS is to communicate the star rating to families. And so we do that in a number of different ways. We have educational material. We talk about what a rating means. Um, and then we do referrals to families in, in multiple different methods um, so that a family can access the childcare that they need and that meets their needs for the children that they have. Um, so that's our largest program. The other contract that we manage for the state is the TEACH Scholarship Workforce Development Initiative. Um, and TEACH is a national model. So there are other states in the U.S. that also have TEACH programs. Um, and so there's fidelity and consistency across the states. Um, but basically, it's a partnership between the state, the, the state um, that, you know, contracts out to us, but a partnership with the Department of Human Services, with the child care program, and then with the teacher in the program. So there's those three different pieces um, partner together to help teachers earn college credits and credentials. So we support them um, financially, but we also support them with um, assistance with things like books and travel reimbursements and also compensation. Um, and then in turn, the program um, supports the teacher with uh, higher credentials, which also then leads to quality improvement in the program and also retains that teacher. So there's a really high retention rate as a part of um, the TEACH program that um, is almost unheard of in, you know, in programs that don't participate in TEACH so that the 
the, the teacher who's providing that quality childcare stays in the program and leads to quality overall. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a great model. It's, it's really, it's research-based. It's been proven over and over and over again, and we're really proud to have it here in Rhode Island. Yeah. I love the way to that our contracts kind of all talk to each other because, mm-hmm. and also we all like work so closely together so that teach is an always informing bright stars and bright stars is always informing teach. And all the while we're still a membership organization. So right. that we have such a great understanding of quality and what quality needs are. And we have such a great understanding of the workforce all while being a membership uh, organization that plays a pretty significant role as advocates. Mm -hmm. So you specifically are pretty involved in state level advocacy. So can you talk a little bit about your role um, on the steering committee of the right from the start campaign? Yeah. So, um, you're right. Like the, it's it's an enormous part of the work that we do, and and very important, um, and has been something that I've really believed strongly in since I became involved in Rhode Island AYC, and certainly since I was um, made the executive director. And so we've re- we've very much expanded our advocacy reach um, from when I first started. Um, so the right from the start campaign is a group of uh, seven different member organizations. And each of those organizations has one individual as part of the steering committee. And then we work with um, another agency that helps us with organization and public relations and um, outreach. And we all get together. In fact, I had a meeting just this morning um, to talk about our advocacy efforts to support young children and their families. And then, you know, also the, the childcare and early learning programs that, um, that support those families and young children. And it, it's really kind of evolved into this, um, into the structure that it is today throughout the last couple of years. Um, so we've had advocacy agendas where, you know, and, and it, it's kind of morphed and grown into this um, really like this momentum that we've built right now where we have several different legislative priorities. Um, and every year it's a little bit different. This year our focus is, um, we have a really strong focus on expanding and increasing the child care assistance program rates, reimbursement mm-hmm. rates paid to child care programs. Um, we have goals and strategies to address early educator wages and compensation. Um, we are also have a focus on paid family leave, on a, a new one, which is uh, doula services being covered by Medicaid, um, evidence-based home visiting increases, maintaining the state, the, um, our state pre-K program, which is called Rhode Island Pre-K, and also new for us this year, which is um, really kind of an immediate thing that we're working on, is to pass an affordable housing and a child care infrastructure bond at a special election that will be in the beginning of March. So Ooh, yes. right shout now, out to the special election. Oh my gosh, that yes. is great. <laughs> we need to have a whole podcast <laughs> on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, so those legislative strategies are what we are focusing on for this year. And, and again, like, you know, sometimes we add things, sometimes we have a stronger focus on certain pieces that are more visible um, or that need more attention in our legislature. Um, But foundationally, it is really addressing priorities for those young children in the state um, and their families. So uh, actually, another thing that I wanted to touch upon, which 
I don't know why it's not in your bio. You should add it to your bio is that you're also an elected official. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> you are. a meeting I had today. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lisa has, wears more hats than anybody I know. Um, so I'm, and I'm throwing this to you as a curveball because we're talking about advocacy and I didn't put this in our episode mm-hmm. outline, but you're an elected official too. I am interested to hear about why you decided to run. And if you could talk a little bit about the position you hold too. Gosh, so now this could be a whole nother podcast too. <laughs> um, it's kind of a long story. Let me see if I can put it in, in just a, a couple of sentences. Um, so I am, I, I've increasingly become involved in my own community, um, you know, um, uh, groups. Um, and a couple of years ago, after the results of some things that I didn't necessarily find all that appealing, I decided that I needed to become more involved. Mm-hmm. And I was actually approached by somebody um, who I really respected in our community and asked to consider running for school committee. Um, so in, in, in my town, we have a school committee, um, a five-member school committee that's elected. And... Um, I really like to be honest, didn't really have a reason to say no. I mean, like I, I, I thought through it over and over and over again. I'm like that there's really no good reason for me to not do this. I have young children, not young children, but at the time, four years ago, I had, um, you know, kids who are still in the public school system and um, really wanted to, to be able to lend some of my knowledge and what I have lived through and in my experience um, to that role. So I had to put together a campaign and figure it all out, um, kind of on the fly and was able to be successful in my bid, um, for a school committee. So I have been on the school committee now for almost three years, um, and was actually just recently, um, voted by our, the, the members vote for, a chair and a co-chair. So now I am co-chair of the school committee, which is really exciting. Oh, cool. And then fun fact, I lived in the, your district when you ran and I voted yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. It was a um, fun campaign. It, it actually like, I mean, it's a ton of work, yeah. um, but it, but it was really cool to like see everybody kind of come together to support me um even my kids and my sister and her kids and my mom came up from South Carolina and like was here during the um the election and it was just really neat to to do it all like to think back on it all now of course I'm gonna have to do it in two more years because it's a four-year term um so we'll see how that goes but uh right now it's been it's been really great so that's my long story but yes I am on the school committee I mean mostly it's different because it's education, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have uh, state pre-K in my town and we have a, um, a pre-K associated with the school department. So, you know, I can, you know, lend my knowledge there, but most of what we're doing is K-12, which is a little different than what I do in my everyday work. Yeah, but it's still so important that like early childhood voices are at these tables. And you mentioned that you had to be asked to run. And I've heard before that women need to be asked seven times before they actually consider running. So if you're listening and you're a little bit inspired by Lisa, let this be one of seven that we think you should run. (laughs) Just a quick aside. Um, But yes, so you are so involved in so many things. So we you are an elected official yourself. 
on top of being the executive director um, and you're on the steering committee for this advocacy campaign. So we're talking local politics, state politics. We're also pretty involved with some federal initiatives. Yeah. Yeah. So our plates are full. Every branch of government almost. Lisa, Lisa's at the table. (laughs) So that's good. Um, When you think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're coming up on public policy forum, Uh uh, which is an AC event either Lisa or me or both of us have been going uh, the past couple years. So no matter what level of government you're hearing about childcare from Lisa, (laughs) get used to it. (laughs) Um, So back to your day job, um, which I don't even, I mean, those are all day jobs. So (laughs) back to your- I'm not sure you can say day anymore. They're sort of like all day, like 24 hour, every job that you, and it's not just me. I mean, all of us, right? Like Especially yeah. if you are, you know, more consistently working from home, it's really hard to separate that. And so it's almost like you have multiple jobs all, all rule around the clock. Is what yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that um, we really in 2020, especially like, mind you, all this stuff that we've already talked about was like a pre-COVID already full plate reality. Mm -hmm. Um, but we had a really like different 2020, um, than usual. So you were Mm -hmm. already doing a significant amount of work to begin with. And then here we are in, Mm -hmm. in in a pandemic. So, um, how did we at Rhode Island at UIC adapt, uh, during this time? Because, and uh, shout out to episode two, I had the manager of assessment for bright stars and we were talking about this already a little bit. Um, but we really veered away from high stakes assessments. And mm-hmm. that meant that our focus was actually in a million different places, kind of supporting childcare in different ways. So can you talk a little bit about how we spent the year for those listeners who are like, what were we, what, what have we been doing and what were we up to all this time? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because we're doing, um, we're doing kind of doing a reflection back on the data that we were able to gather for the year. And Allison and I are doing this together along with Stephanie. And um, it, it, a lot of it seemed to be like a, a blur, especially in the early months um, and weeks, you know, that we were, you know, in March and April and May. And the three of us together were like, oh yeah, we did that too. Or, oh, I forgot about that piece of work that we did. So this is a good, um, yeah. this is a good time for us to be also reflecting back on everything that we did together. That's true. I, I wrote the project report out and I forgot like three projects. Like I wasn't there <laughs> the whole time, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Um, so for those of you who are listening, who are outside of Rhode Island, um, Rhode Island was one of the only states that actually shut down childcare for a period completely. So no childcare program was operating um, during the very early stages of the pandemic for um, two months, two plus plus months for um, the complete shutdown, which was um, really unheard of and and very stressful within the system for everybody. and so one of the first projects that we took on was, you know, trying to figure out who, what, what the programs were doing, who, who was still keeping staff involved, who was, you know, um, putting staff temporarily on unemployment, like where everybody sort of sit, was situated. And then we went through a process with the Department of Human Services to support them on reopening. So 
the, the um, DHS, which also handles our licensing, um, uh, released a set of emergency regulations and allowed programs to then reopen. But in order to do that, they had to reapply with different um, capacities, different staffing patterns, different everything. And they really had to tell the state what their plans were. And so we supported DHS with that whole reapplication process um, that to reopen. And I mean, again, Rhode Island's kind of small, but we're talking about every single licensed program had to go through this if they plan to reopen. So that was like the first big kind of coordinated project that we took on. And then we did um, other things to kind of support those programs. So we did, um, the state received massive amounts of PPE and we were um, part of the we were, we were the agency for, child, for um, centers and school-age programs to distribute that PPE. So we were distributing masks and um, cleaning supplies and thermometers to programs. Um, we were also doing things like surveys, you know, finding out who, um, you know, what programs had on, on-site staff nurses and mm -hmm. which programs were struggling with PPE and, and how much PPE was costing them and things like that, just like gathering all of that data. So we did a lot of surveys. Um, and then more organizationally in the kind of like the more recent months, um, the Department of Human Services is, um, did a series of surveys that they contracted out to another organization, but we supported that with phone calls, with phone banking, with emails, with reminders. And that was over a series of three months or a, a, a three month long kind mm -hmm. of repetitive surveys. Um, and that data is just now starting to come out. And so that was like enormous because the information that they're learning in those surveys will help set the course of 2021 for funding. Um, we know that we know now, yay, that we're going to get an additional stimulus um, package. And so the state is using that data to try and figure out where the need is and where the support needs to go, where that funding needs to go. There were some relief grants that were issued um, to programs for operational costs and for facilities improvements that were all kind of tied into the emergency regulations that we provided some technical assistance on. We helped support programs on their applications and answered questions. Um, and the state granted, um, you know, millions of dollars to programs um, that we were actively involved in helping um, the programs complete those applications. And then along with all of that, <laughs> we also um, continued to support programs in their quality improvement. So, you know, part of Bright Stars is that, um, Programs need to renew their participation every three years. And so in 2020, there was, you know, hundreds of programs that were supposed to have renewed their participation. And we had to, like Allison said, we really had to adapt our processes and adapt our support to say, you know, are there things that they could continue to be working on or are there like pieces of those, um, of that assessment process that, need to be changed or need to be looked at differently. Um, and we're still doing that. So we are, um, you know, continuing a scope of work that allows programs to get the support that they need from us, but also doesn't eliminate the need for continuous quality improvement and continuous, um, uh, you know, pieces of the, the standards that really are important. Um, you know, it, it, 
it is vital for the, the safety and, and the health of our children to make sure that those emergency regulations are being met, absolutely. Um, but also really important to make sure they're continuing to have conversations with the kids and that they're still um, providing a, a, an enriched learning environment. Um, and so we don't want to lose that. And so that's the yeah. work that we've continued to do. That's and actually that, part of where this idea even came from too, where it was like, I feel like I was losing touch with a lot of people that I was either seeing in person or having meetings yeah. with and doing resource referrals. So um, this was another thing we took on <laughs> in 2020. Yep. And um, yeah, so we've, I think the word of the year is probably adapt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which the part of it is this, we're now talking to you, we're talking to you, you're not talking back to us, you know, we're, we're probably <laughs> in your earphones. Um, but we've really tried to be responsive and meet people where they are. So it's been, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it was really important to all of us and it was super important, especially to the, the agency leadership that, um, we don't lose those connections. We don't lose those relationships that we've worked so hard to build mm-hmm. with our, um, with our childcare workforce and with our, our programs. And, and that was part. And one of the other things that I didn't mention is that we've also been working with our licensing team really closely to do um, visits. So we were are also, you know, out there in the field, um, visiting programs, you know, looking at the emergency regulations, supporting them where they need technical assistance and referring them for additional support. Um, and that was really important to us too. And so we are, we're still being able to meet them somewhat face to face, just in a different way. Um, but the really cool thing is that we're now, because we're doing that work, we're so much closely aligned and tighter in um, our own relationships with the licensing staff and with the licensing leadership um, folks. And so that was like a kind of a silver lining, kind of a benefit of everything that we're dealing with because we were given that opportunity to do that work side by side with them. And it's really taught us a lot. Yeah. Oh, great segue. Cause I was going to ask you reflecting back on all of it. What did 2020 teach you? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, don't forget. I said a lot of it was a blur. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think so it, I, I'm sure that if I had more time to reflect back, I would come up with a lot more stuff to tell you about. Um, I do think that the, I like that the, our word of 2020 is adaptability. I also think that I, I have learned so much about our own agency and the work that the individuals that are part of Rhode Island AYC do every day is so vital to the, the to this childcare system. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we were so flexible, I mean, we were able to change direction in a moment's notice or take on a project with very little um, lead way and very little instruction and just like take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. And I always knew that we were like that, but it's also allowed us the ability to like really be strong and to recognize that, um, that we are strong and that we mm-hmm. can do this. And um, I think that's one thing that 2020 has like taught me is that we are, um, we are all together a very strong team and we are pretty resilient 
And um, all of us had our own, you know, personal things that we were going through and, and the challenges of working from home and, you know, all of that stuff. We, we made it work. And we, that when you look back at everything that we did, it's super impressive to me. And I know that it is to our childcare community too. Um, and also the, yeah. the other part to that is kind of the flip side and how um, important childcare is to our society. Oh yeah. The other huge thing, right? Like, and I know we've heard it over and over and over again in our, in the channels that we work within, but I hope that people beyond our own bubble start to really realize that the only way that people can work is if they have somebody, a place um, that they trust, that is a safe environment for their children to go to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, everything falls apart. Yeah. And, and it, it's so vital. And then, you know, I know we're going to talk about advocacy a little bit more too, is just um, why there needs to be a stronger public investment in this system. Especially the workforce who have obviously proved themselves to be essential, essential. this year. Yep. Yeah. So when uh, all these other services, you know, may find itself, you know, closing or whatever and Childcare was always there and your, and your childcare provider was always showing up for families. And I just want our state to value them the way that they deserve to be valued, which is why one of our priorities for, for uh, the next session is an investment in the childcare workforce because it's so Mm -hmm. necessary. Um, What are you leaving in 2020? (laughs) So I think the whole year was very anxiety filled, um, filled with a lot of uncertainty. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm a little worried that we are still going to be dealing with that for many more months. Um, we don't really, you know, there is definitely still an uncertainty around the, um, COVID and in Rhode Mm -hmm. Island, um, we're, we're definitely in a place, our state is in a place where things don't seem to be getting all that much better. We're, I think yeah. we're a little bit plateaued, but um, we're definitely one of those states that is in a, in a very critical range. Yeah, there was a weird moment there and people from out of state were texting me all over the place where we had the most cases per capita in the entire world. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was a fun couple minutes, but. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I hope that we are going to be leaving some of that <laughs> yeah. behind yeah. Some, in 2021, like within that, this year. But I, I don't I don't know. And so I it maybe maybe need to check back with me in a couple of weeks or months and then maybe I'll feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But that, that's one thing that I, I hope that we are going to be leaving behind and we'll start to have some answers and we'll start to have some clarity and we'll start to have um a kind of a, a new direction to move into. Um, but temporarily I don't know that we're quite there yet. Yeah. It's still only it's still early January. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It's, it still feels like 2020 in a way. So we'll, we'll, we'll take some time to figure out what we're leaving behind. Um, so I guess let's finally look ahead yeah. to 2021. What is in store for us? Um, so a lot. There's definitely a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to be optimistic about. Um, I am uh, very excited about the direction that our um, Rhode Island AYC board is moving in. Um, our board, you know, so one of the, one of an, another silver lining of 2020 is the, this concept of these Zoom meetings, right? Like we, we've actually, um, 
been able to engage the board in a in a much higher level because they're you know they're a volunteer board they all have their own lives and their own jobs and their own things that they've got going on and but the cool thing is that it's easier to get together in a zoom concept in a format um because you don't have to worry about leaving a job or leaving a your your kids at home you're able to kind of engage in a different way so one of the um things that we really focused on in 2020 is um, as, as many other organizations and agencies did, um, was to embark on a, a real anti-racism, anti-bias platform. And so um, in the summer of 2020, as many other organizations did, we released a statement. And um, it was really important to all of us that were part of the writing of that statement that it wasn't just a statement, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it would definitely needed to be that but it also needed to have some action steps attached to it. And I'm really proud to say that like we did create some action steps at the time that we've moved forward on and that we are um, some strategies that we are embarking on. And so that is one thing that I'm, I'm really excited about. So we're starting with some professional development um, for our agency, for our staff and our board. Um, and we are working on engaging um, an organization that will so help us through that. But then also creating that professional development or those opportunities for the rest of our workforce, um, for our Rhode Island AUAC members to engage in, have like real honest conversations about um, the structure, the, the, the actual structures within um, early childhood and within the state and within every everything that we interact with um, and how we might be able to bring about change. Yeah. Um, so I'm ex- I, I am definitely excited about that. That is one piece of work that um, we all know that we've you needed to do for a really long time, but now we have the driving force behind it and we have, um, we have, you, Allison, kind of, you know, helping us, (laughs) pushing us along in that, in that regard too. So um, we'll see how that all rolls out, but more, definitely more information to come on that in the coming weeks and months. Yes. And I'll be here week by week, updating (laughs) you on all of it. (laughs) Um, Um, And that was really one one of the impetus of the podcast too, was, you know, being able to have, again, have those conversations, bring, bring experts um, to the podcast, bring individuals um, that can, you know, give us some assistance and, and ha- help guide us through some of these conversations. Yes. Yes. And actually that's a really great segue because I've been meaning to call this out and it's just like the way the world is working for me right now, but I did not mean to have three white women on in a row on this podcast. <laughs> it was like, I, I, and it's something that like, I want to be transparent about that I've been thinking about. Like I wanted that to be a main topic of this podcast, but I'm like learning a lot about my own like immediate network and how maybe, Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that wasn't like as readily accessible to me as I thought. So, um, I mean more to come and some of it is just scheduling, uh, but we really need to hear from those voices Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm, I am working on it every day. So yeah, we will, we'll get there in 2021 for sure. Um, yeah. So more broadly, what are your hopes for 2021? Um, so, you know, like I said before, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic um, that support, 
support for childcare and early learning with a new administration mm-hmm. will bring um, a new vision, will we'll bring public support and public funding to a place to, to bring us to a place where we can rebuild a system. Um, I was just reading an email that came from Childcare Aware um, and they are calling for transformative change. And I really like that, um, that, you know, that we need a system of childcare that's affordable to families, um, that's accessible to everybody to, you know, regardless of what your situation is and um, equitable again, across families, across geography, across socioeconomic status, across, um, you know, race and ethnicity, every, every equitable in all kinds of ways. Um, But then I also needed to add that it need, it absolutely needs to be supportive, um, financially to the, the individuals that work within the system. Yeah. Um, because it is collapsing around us because they are not able to, to, to have a life and it's, it's not a living wage that we are yeah. paying. Yeah. These mostly these, um, women of color. I mean, mm-hmm. you they cannot support themselves having multiple jobs, ha- you know, going on, on, um, public assistance, like that's unacceptable when these individuals are, are educating our youngest children, when they are having our, their babies, our babies in their arms and we pay them $11 an hour. Yeah. My 16 year old can go work at Kohl's and get, and make $16 an hour. Like it's, it's not acceptable anymore. Like we have to, we, we, we have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is no longer acceptable and things need to change. I really, um, I really, really hope we're at a turning point because I think that our, we were, pro- I mean, I feel like the child care, like child care workforce has been proving its worth over and over and over again. But in Rhode Island, especially we had a little, little taste of what it would be like if childcare disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I remember the calls we were receiving mm-hmm. during those couple months and how desperate people yep. were when they lost their childcare. Yep. And I hope it's not lost on anybody that the entire industry is on the brink of going like collapsing. And that could be a lot of families reality if we don't make the public investment that we need to. Yeah. Well, just some little goals for 20, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just, just some, just some little resolutions. Um, but you're right though. I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I, it feels like a turning point and more people in power are talking about it. And Mm -hmm. I've only been working in this industry. I just passed my fifth birthday at Rhode Island AUIC. And that is nothing compared to other advocates that have been doing this for decades, but I'm, I'm sensing something happening right now. And I, I, I'm also cautiously optimistic. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I hope that we will all see it within very short turnaround time frame. Um, you know, I know it takes it takes a long time to make that transformative change, but I think that we need we need to start taking those steps now this yeah. year, um, because that awareness is still really fresh in all of our minds. Yeah. Um, and I I talked to a lot of families. I took those calls too, and it, it was um, it was heartbreaking mm-hmm. that they 
you know, uh, single parents, you know, individuals who are, were really essential workers, healthcare workers, folks that were stocking the shelves in our grocery stores who couldn't find care, didn't have any options um, for their children. And how, how, how can we make a, a parent choose between their job to put food on the table and, and caring for their child? Like, right. It's not right. Nope. <laughs> and we're working, we're working hard to do something about it. So if you are not a Rhode Island AEYC member, and if you are on board with everything you heard today, um, I hope you consider joining us because it's going to be a big year. Yeah. And I know you, you alluded a little bit to public policy forum. So the NACI public policy forum is something that happens every year and this year it will be completely virtual, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate because our day on the Hill where we get to meet our federal delegation is really impactful to those of us who participate, but also really important for our federal delegation to, to hear from us. Um, however, the cool part is because it's virtual, we're hope we're hopeful that um, we'll be able to host those meetings in a, in a different kind of platform and, and maybe we'll have some really great participation. Not that we don't always, um, we do, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's uh, gives us an opportunity maybe to talk to multiple people in a, a delegation, you know, in a, in a Senator's office mm-hmm. um, and, and really thank them. Number one, thank them for the um, COVID release, the stimulus f- um, money and also um, talk to them about what it's really like and why increases to, the you know specifically to CCDBG, but also to other um, funding streams is important as we move forward to rebuild this system. So, along with becoming a member, we're also probably going to have a bigger delegation going to public policy forum than we've ever been able to afford before, because you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> you don't yes. have to leave your house from the comfort um, of your home program. office. You can affect change. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. I, I think they're um, saying no teams no larger than 25, but I think the largest team we've ever had is like five or six. Yeah. So let's get 25. Yeah, let's like, break a record. That, that can be another resolution for us. Yep. Biggest yep. public policy team ever. Yeah. So folks, if you're out there listening and you're in any way interested in advocacy um, or even just want to learn from us and, you know, take some, some baby steps, um, be looking for those emails because they will be coming. So public policy forum is at the end of February. Mm-hmm. The emails will go out shortly and um, we'll be looking to set up a strong team. Yeah. Or, or people think that they don't like politics or, or government and, you know, they think it's not for them, mm-hmm. but they have an extremely impactful story. Yeah. And regardless of, you know, how involved you are or how closely you pay attention, the people that have power deserve to hear you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Come with us. (laughs) Virtually. (laughs) Virtually. As always, this is virtual, whatever. It was so, I set up a podcast little studio. I had a nice little chair and a second (laughs) microphone and I have not been able to use it, but one day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, we will, we will return to the office and to having interactions with our, our colleagues face-to-face yes. instead of on Zoom. <laughs> One Hopefully day. soon. Yeah, because I miss everybody. It's yeah. so sad, but, you know, it's, it's kind of thrilling when you go to a meeting, you know, a virtual meeting, um, where there's a face that you haven't seen 
you know, in a long time. And that's really exciting, but I would love to be able to see people in a yeah. room together again someday soon. Yes. And we will. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for coming on for our first episode of 2021. Yeah, this is fun. Yes. I want to do it again. There's all kinds of stuff we can talk about. I know. And you know what? We're, we're probably going to have to do some repeats. So we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cut. Huh. This is a long one. This is probably going to be our longest episode so far. Uh, I hope you made it all the way through and you're listening to me now. Hi. Um, I just felt like I couldn't cut any of that down. Me and Lisa have such a great rapport, obviously, and we had a lot to say. Uh, So thanks for listening all the way through. Um, We'll see you next week.